Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. So inviting. It must be another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Hello, I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined in the studio by the storyboard artist uh, to all the big stars, the Coen brothers, among others, for 20 years and counting. We call him J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And also in the studio, it is live and in person, the man with the biggest frame brain on the planet, our man at the Library of Congress, the Nitrate Film Archivist there, and our friend George Willem and George, welcome. Who's the best film guy you ever saw? <laughs> Who's got the biggest frame brain of anybody you ever saw? You're looking at him. <laughs> oh, I love this week's movie. I love this week's music uh, movie. Not only what are do you getting I... excited about? What could you possibly be? Getting excited about Nikki's Secret Dakota Ring. Not only do I love, but my uh, small six-year-old son loves the right stuff. What a great flick. Hey, man, we think it's a perfect movie. It's perfect in we every do. way. Yes, we do. We no think question. It's, we've always thought it was a perfect I, movie. From the day, I can honestly say, because I very well remember watching this in the old uh, Regent Theater in Springfield, Ohio, and I sat there with my, my good buddy Kyle Kaler and sat there and watched it for three hours without blinking. Yes. <laughs> and I, and I saw it at the Dayton Mall monster oh, screen. Cinema one. Yeah. Oh. And then George, when he brought it into the classroom in college on a laser disc. Oh, oh do my you still have goodness. that laser disc? Uh, no, I got the DVD. We went over to his house because it was widescreen. Watched it and watched it and watched it. Oh, that's just what, what a movie. It's another one of those what we call frame turners. As we think about this film and its perfectness, it is uh, worth noting that we do not just decide this in some willy-nilly, who knows, zig or zag way. There are no, the very film guys strict, have rules. We have rules. Very strict rules. And gentlemen, those rules are... Well... The Right Stuff is a perfect movie because it creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. Regardless, regardless of changes in society, The Right Stuff retains its meaning and its entertainment value. And The Right Stuff will never be placed in any preferential or numerical order. It is perfect by its own scale. There is nothing else like it. Absolutely not. Just... Perfect movie. But Bud Inski, however, <laughs> interrupted us one day when we were watching a movie. He likes to talk during movies. He says, hey, hey, why don't you guys take all your perfect movies and number them? No. No. I said, no. Bud, uh, how long has it been since you've had a raise around here? That's you know? the bugaboo of a small mind. <laughs> that's right. So we raised him by kicking him up the backside. <laughs> These movies are perfect and hold their the own that weight. Guy. All the movies we talk about, he says, "Why don't you number your perfect movies?" Said, but you, you know, what are are you a special interest boy around here? Why? But, how many times and, have we got to tell you? And you know what else he said? I told him that we were doing the right stuff, and he said, "Oh, I love the new kids on the block." <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tell you. Did they have a song called that? Oh yeah, oh, another big hit. Sure, I never heard. You it. You don't remember I that? Don't. I never heard it. All right, pull her aside. I want to see your disc jockey card. <laughs> No, see, that's commercial mainstream radio. This is uh, Oh, that's right. This is public radio. We don't play anything people like here. Oh, I know where you live. 
the we right don't have public stuff. radio in Culpeper. <laughs> public radio has the right stuff. I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. So, George, this movie covers a lot of time and a lot of action. Yeah, and, you're uh, going to give it to us in how many minutes? <laughs> yeah. Just watch. Yeah. Give us a little synopsis of the action, if you would. This is basically the story about uh, the Mercury astronauts and how America began its space race. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Thanks. Thanks again, ladies that's and right. gentlemen. Good night. We'll be here all weekend. <laughs> no, actually, it, it is. I mean, that's the basic. It's based on a book by Tom Wolfe, who uh, who loves doing these stories of sort of the some. Of the, the book is great too. Yeah, some I, of the I've some of the oddities the of of American life, especially, and and the story is about how after World War II we began looking into first could the sound barrier be broken. And then from that point, can we get these rockets into outer space? And then from that point, you know, can we keep them from exploding? And can we get a man to the moon? You know, um, and, and it each was one of these steps, men were basically putting their lives on the line for us to know whether or not you can break you can the even sound do it. Yeah, and that's what the right stuff is. Basically, I mean, I don't know if if Tom Wolf actually has a, a, a definition of it in his book, but it's basically the ability to do something that you know to do what no one else can do. Because, you know, Jaeger goes up at the beginning and he breaks a sound barrier after everyone else has failed. And nobody knew that, that you get that crack, did they? Mm-mm. Yeah. The, oh, the, the boom? The, the yeah, boom, the, the sonic that's boom. A, that's a great, that's one of my favorite parts of and the I movie. And I remember as a child hearing those sonic So do I, yeah. Yeah, well, um, you can still hear them. Our windows were rattled. Well, they don't do sonic. No, they're not allowed to do them anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. If you they can, do it, it's it's accidental or someone's going to be in YouTube big trouble. And see the F 14 Tomcats breaking the sound barrier out in the ocean. They're doing passes, but they're not allowed to do it. Remember during September 11th when they were scrambling those jet airplanes? Yeah. You probably heard them that day. Yeah. When, but that's, it's been a long time since the early 60s that you hear uh, sonic booms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they, of course, thought that that, that, had, that ended badly, but uh, it was just him breaking the sound barrier. And I love that notion of the demon in the sky, and they were chasing that. Uh, they said it over and over that right, there's a demon. Pushing the envelope. Yeah. The de- demon that lives out in the air. Yeah. This movie is, is really in the same uh, vernacular or uh, style as the previous movie we've done called The World's um, Fastest. Fastest Indian. Same kind of principles. These of guys chasing are, speed. They're after like, but they're on the they're on the money here because the Russians are. It's you know as they say they they want to get up in space so they can control the perimeter of space. So like Lyndon B. Johnson says, uh, so it's like <laughs> dropping rocks from a high over uh, like dropping. How you say it? Dropping rocks from a high overpass. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that. Well, it was it's like, like you know, the, the whole the whole country was turned on its ear with the with the you know the communist terror of putting a uh, a ten pound ball of metal in the air going across right. the sky Sputnik, beeping at us. Right. Yeah, and this Sputnik. is a mere this isn't even fifty years later and look what's happening. Look, now. it's a whole I mean, new world the, now. The space shuttle does what the Mercury astronauts do in the first ten minutes of its I mean, the, these Mercury astronaut uh, these guys were in space for anywhere from 15 minutes to doing like several orbits, like John Glenn mm-hmm. did. And uh, but this was heady stuff in yeah. 1960 and 61. And it's amazing because you know one of the one of his uh, really good sections uh, at the beginning shows the rockets exploding one after the other, after the other, after the other, and and you know these guys begin wondering, you know, what are we going to go through? But you never see them say that they will not do it. They continually push on. Yeah, because our Germans are better than their Germans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you who don't know, is that most of the scientists that were involved in this uh, space race were all German scientists. Including on the Russian, the Soviet side, and the American side. The the, uh, 
at the end of World War II, most of the German scientists, uh, the good ones like Werner von Braun, were ascertained by the Americans, while the Russians got the rest of them. So it was the Nazi scientists, the Nazi mm-hmm. scientists that were involved in rocket propulsion and everything that invaded, they did the V two rockets and everything that terrorized London, ended up becoming our space our program. Space race, yeah. And that's. Not really alluded to, but you can tell what they're trying to do, this enormous space race that they're doing, uh, uh, trying to put these guys into orbit and everything, and how they select them. It's just a massive, massive masterpiece of narrative storytelling. It and is it's so true. good. Yeah, and it's a true story. So we start out with Chuck Yeager, who's intending to break the sound barrier, and it's a notable scene where he falls off the horse and injures himself and just right. makes a little Breaks aside to the engineer and is like, think I can close the hatch. Can you jimmy me something up? And he gives him, saws off a broom handle. So that, because if they known, they wouldn't have let him go up. Right. But he was so dedicated, Yeager, so had the right stuff. Remember, Chuck Yeager was not in the uh, cut list for the astronauts because he didn't have any college. He was a fighter pilot. He had shot down, a, you know. Right, he's a decorated he a, war he's pilot. He's a decorated fighter pilot. He had shot down a number of airplanes. But he was not what they were looking for. They were looking for college. No, in fact, one of one of my favorite pieces in there is uh, we have Jeff Goldblum and Harry Shearer as government men who go out to scout at uh, Edwards Air Force Base looking for uh, pilots for this program. So Harry and, Shearer back in 83. Yeah. He was tremendous. He's on he's the show fantastic. on Public Radio. Sure. Yeah, and he's, uh, you know, they're ta- he's talking to the liaison man, and they're going, well, what about, you know, what about Jaeger? He goes, oh, Jaeger, he's, he doesn't fit the profile. <laughs> and this is this is what, one thing, and we'll get into talking about Philip Kaufman here in a minute, the director. One of the little neat things he does in this movie is when he says Jaeger doesn't fit the profile, this character walks in behind them in profile, and it's Chuck Jaeger playing Fred the Bartender. He's, he makes and then several Fred the, appearances yeah. in And then Fred movie. the Bartender kind of comes up and stands behind Harry Shearer as Shearer's going, well, you know, he doesn't fit the profile. He's not educated, blah, 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 blah. And then finally Jaeger goes, hey, you want to drink a whiskey? <laughs> so that's actually that's Chuck, actually Yeager. Chuck Yeager, yeah. And he's he, it's not just that one scene, he's in a couple other scenes in that movie. Um one of the things in this movie that they kind of left out because there's just not enough time of course, this is a long movie is the uh, the uh, perils of Scott Crossfield when he was testing the X15. He was a, another Jaeger type who was literally punching a hole in the sky with this airplane called the X15. It was breaking Speed records. It was the closest thing to a spacecraft you could get in the early 1960s, and it had a pretty good life into like early 70s. But the X-15 was one of the very first airplanes to go almost three times the speed of sound, and it had an altitude record till just recently. It was just it was broke by um, I can't remember it was the, the people that Brute Rutan's boys that made the spacecraft on their own. But that X-15 was a, a bad airplane, and. Uh, he just they show him talking to Scott Crossfield, who incidentally just died not too long ago in a common Cessna airplane. Um, I think he crashed. But my point is, is he went out. I mean, he was he flew faster than most guys will ever do in their lifetime astronauts. But he he uh, his life ended in a smaller airplane, but all his life. Yeah. yeah. That's Scott Crossfield. They didn't talk too much. He's in he's. Uh, depicted in the movie. We're talking about The Right Stuff, the 1983 film starring a big ensemble cast. There's a lot of people in here because there were a lot of people working Mm -hmm. on that mission. And, uh, you know, it starts out in sort of the beginnings, the first few successes, and carries us through, you know, just an amazing historical period in our country. And, you know, one of the greatest things about this picture 
is the way Kaufman captures the whole spirit of this generation. And he has that magical speech by John F. Kennedy saying that uh, we are going to be in the first wave of, of the industrial American America will be in the first wave of the industrial revolution. They have Kennedy setting the tone for this. And as you remember, he was saying we we're going to put a man on the moon in less than yeah, by, know, by 69. seven years, eight yeah. years, you know, from 1963. This is heady stuff. I don't hear any of these candidates talking like that. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's amazing. And we really rallied behind it. It really became a sort of a national objective. And these people were thought of as superhuman, these these pilots who were willing to risk it all, who had the right and, stuff. And, uh, well, and we were terrified. I think the country and the government were, and average people were terrified of the thought, as is brought out in this movie a little bit, the idea of Soviet superiority in the space race. You know, having the Soviets over us, literally, you know, as Lyndon Johnson is dropping bombs from the sky on us. So, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that was, I think, a real impetus that got, well, both sides, the Soviets were the same way. They didn't want us over them dropping the bombs The Cold Moscow. War. Yeah. This was like the market set go stage of the mm-hmm. Cold War. Um, the depictions of the presidents like Lyndon B. Johnson are really good. He's in a car waiting to, he wants to talk to. Talk to Annie says, Glenn. Yeah, and she won't let him. She won't talk to him, and he's oh, just—he's yeah. a great characters, man. And yeah. well, one of the great characters in the film, and this is our, again a little interesting. Philip Kaufman. Kaufman does a lot of things with this film, and he wrote the script for it, uh, based, like I said, on Tom Wolfe's book. But um, he adds these little—I can't really name a good word for it—but they are characters that represent a, a, a larger idea um i'm thinking of royal dano They're who iconic, plays this yeah kind of an iconic character yeah. and this one you see right at the beginning when the plane crashes during the prologue the next thing you see is this man in a, a little little car in a black suit and a black hat who yeah. comes up to tell the the wife of the pilot that he has died and he appears throughout the film and he's like and this image of success death. yeah he's he's walking up to the mercury redstone rocket and 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 our pilot, our astronaut, first up in the air, Alan Shepard, right. looks at him and and he makes eye contact. Well, and with this was really and interesting. He overcomes this after this death shadow after the movie, and you think about it, it's like, well, he really shouldn't be there because you know if he's the liaison at Edwards Air Base, then he should stay out there. But now here he is in Houston, and here he is in Florida, and wherever they are, here is this figure of death. It's like death is always there. Waiting Ooh, for now see, but he I makes saw little, that, but I didn't know that. When he's walking, that, to, like I said that. before, when he's walking on the rocket, he makes literal eye contact with this guy, and he's unfazed. I want Shepard. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things in this picture, and I always remember it. It's called the Shepherd's Prayer. Is that the song they sing? No. No. <laughs> Sorry. Alan Shepard's prayer is, "Please God, don't let me screw up." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shepherd's Prayer. Yeah, yeah. and he's okay. sitting in that space. Well, I I would say that every day, but I didn't realize that that was a Shepherd's Prayer. Oh, it's yeah, it's slightly was... different. Of course, we we bodlerized it. Yes, yes. Right. For public radio. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about the right stuff, and this movie has the right stuff. It's about having the right stuff, and the movie absolutely stands and delivers another perfect. I think it'll movie. probably outrun his book, honestly, because it's just such a beautiful. Picture. And again, Kaufman is really good with people, and he, um, you know, he portrays these seven astronauts as extremely human, with very, very human failings. Um, uh, the whole episode with Gus Grissom comes yeah. to mind, and it, the nice thing about it is, it, it would have been so easy to just sort of blame Grissom and say, "Well, this, this happened, and he did this," but and he leaves it very open, and he's very fair to Gus Grissom about the. For those of you who don't know, when Gus took his uh, time up, he had the second rocket up in the Mercury program 
when he came down, something happened and the hatch blew off before they were ready to pick up the capsule to take it back to the carrier and the capsule sank. And, and Gus then said it was the, the, um, the explosive bolts blew ahead of time catching him off guards and, and did not allow him the time to get the... Get now, you see up. this, the, the terrible, uh, the irony of it, they don't they don't get the White House thing with Jackie. and I mean, that's movies. It mm-hmm. really is movies. And I, and I met Mrs. Grissom quite a few years ago, and I'm not so sure it happened that way, but that's movies. But the important thing to remember about Virgil Gus Grissom is that this man not only was a Mercury astronaut, he was a Gemini astronaut. And an Apollo astronaut. And he was, he was, he was supposed to be the man that was going to walk on the moon. And he was the first substitutional sacrifice for, for the, our program, our space program, because Apollo 1 was that, that terrible, terrible uh, launch pad fire. That, um, That's right. The day, Chappie, be, the day before Grissom, they were going to um, white, white were, were killed. And that has been what a lot of people say got us on the moon because of, of what they learned from that. And, uh, of course, like I said before, it was like an amazing sacrifice that they made for this program. And we are still benefiting from that Apollo programming today because of computers and everything that, everything that was learned in that scant 10, maybe 15 years we have in use today. That's right. Would we have Tang if it hadn't been for the Apollo <laughs> I think not. Or that, that, that cool, uh, that cool uh, ice cream that you get at the Air Force Museum, you know, and a little pack of the free dried <laughs> right, ice cream. Right, right, right. Well, when you watch this movie, think about Gus Grissom. Look him up, man. That guy was, he was a pretty amazing person in that space program. Uh, yeah, and he's played I mean, with such emotion. Fred Ward, Fred who's, a, who's a great, great actor, actor and, and I haven't seen him nearly enough and stuff. Uh, no. It just plays it with such, I mean, when his wife, you know, kind of refers to him as the squirming hatch blower, and he just <laughs> has this moment that is just heartbreaking. They, they have, a, Sam Stafford just plays this part of Chuck Yeager as dignity, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie. Easygoing and kind I, of country guy. One thing about Philip Kaufman that I have not seen anybody do like he does as a director, he hasn't done a whole lot, but I'll tell you, this movie, I always see something different in this movie. And the last time I watched it, there's a scene in this movie I've never seen anybody ever, ever do or try to do through editing. And that's where uh, our astronaut—I can't remember which astronaut it is—but he's at the top of the uh, of the rocket and he's ready to go off, and he has to go to the bathroom. No, and he's talking about how he has to go to the bathroom, and then Philip Kaufman he cuts the like a tea party and this yeah. coffee is spilling over people drinking water, <laughs> people drinking water, and he's going, "I gotta go here." They keep cutting the astronaut, looking down on him from the top of the, and, and they keep cutting to this stuff. People running water, and, and and you're sitting here thinking, do I have to go to the bathroom? This is this is like the potential of when I always talk about cinematic potential and how there's so much of it. This is like just this is this guy gets there in like one of the most just brilliant ways that I've yeah, ever the, seen. Yeah, the film is so full of humor, which which I think is one yeah. thing that makes it work so well is that everything. I mean, he's very serious about about these astronaut pilots and saying. These guys are very important. They need to be remembered. Here's what they did, and here's how. They, and some of the things they have to do are fairly embarrassing. I mean, the barium enema scene, and mm-hmm. the oh the, yeah, and it's getting they the, have this great looking nurse, getting the yeah, getting the getting the the uh, <laughs> really gives it to them. They have to go and get the uh, 
the, the sperm samples in the in the bathroom is, is quite memorable. <laughs> but also just his depiction of the press and the media in this film. This little group of, 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 of um, reporters who are constantly wherever they like are. ants. And there's always the sound of locusts. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He's got, they've got a, some, oh, is there literally? Literally the sound of locusts. Wherever they are, you get this sort of chirruping... Uh, locusts. You telling sound- me that he put that into Absolutely. the soundtrack? Yeah, it's the soundtrack. Wherever they show up, they come running in, and you'll hear this sound. It's sound design that he has mixed, and and he starts working you to the point where at the end of the movie you hear it coming, and you know these guys start climbing over. Yeah, climbing over the fence. Sound design, cinema, sound design, lighting, acting, transitions in tone in this movie. The tone of this picture. Moves from these incredibly violent transitions of visual images into this, like when the woman is dancing in front of all these astronauts and they're watching yeah. all this. And while this is going on, Jaeger's up in an F one hundred four trying to get into space. You know, mm-hmm. he's just he's just pushing this airplane that's almost a rocket plane, and he can't quite make it. He's you looking know? for that demon out there, just hunting for it, flame mm-hmm. out. And then the thing falls. And then the marvelous tone when John Glenn is in his orbit and. They have these uh, Australian ab- Aborigines who are big fire, big magic signaling fire. him with fire. This mixture of tone mm. and image, tone and image, and then this splash of transitional violence of the rocket ships blowing up on the launch pad, or um, it's just marvelous control of what he's doing right. to tell this well, story. And I think that there near the end, there's the wonderful connection of all the Mercury astronauts and Jaeger, because at the end where they're watching uh, the fan dancer. He cuts to them all kind of looking looking at each other as the fan dancer is going. And then when, uh, you know, when uh, Jaeger has to eject and the plane crashes. Now, even though he's out at Edwards Air Base and they're in Houston or Dallas, I believe, when that explosion occurs, you hear it at the barbecue and all the astronauts kind of are aware that that plane has crashed. So it's like a, a psychic connection between Jaeger, even no. though he wasn't one of the astronauts. He has this right stuff thing just as much as any of them do. So well, it's kind of, again, it's one of those yeah, Kaufman's the, little. Remind nifty me of some things. of the other films that he's done because what an attention to detail! What a um, rich and layered. Uh, Kaufman, like I said, he's, he's that's really true. His, really, his technique is rich and layered. One of the other things I was talking about, Tom, well, he cuts to the what the Russians are doing with this score, and they show them in black and white footage mm. or something. It's a little different looking. Uh, CP tone, right, George? Where is it? I'm sorry. When they show the transition of the, what the Russians are doing at the oh, time. Oh, yeah, they make it all kind of uh, kind of sepia tone. But again, almost red, actually. This tone, uh-huh. this tone that he's, this soft tone, this heavy tone, this, he just, it's, it's almost like watching an orchestra play only with pictures and images and transitions. Now, right after he did the right stuff, he did The Unbearable Lightness of Being, which was very big, and then Henry and June. Hmm. Uh, we won the first films to get an NC 17. And then Rising Sun, the one with uh, We're Sean, talking about Philip Kaufman here, Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes, I believe, which is really good. Uh, but one of his best ones, my favorite ones of his, is one of his earlier films, which is the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is oh, that's know, a good one. Man. Not not big on on remakes, but this one is every that's bit good. as good as Don Siegel's 50s version, yeah. and just adds to its greatness. Because hey, you know what, George? Hmm. Where's our projector at? Don't oh, we have our projector? Minute, oh, we do. Something. We have a hey, something. is it over there by what the power it? saw? Well, is there it, it is. There? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, here. Oh, okay. Let's watch we'll it. Get that rolling here. So then, oh, wait, wait. It works. Oh, there. Well, you boys know what makes this bird go up. Funding. 
makes this bird go up. That's right. No bucks. No Buck Rogers. And uh, press over there. There it is. <laughs> they all want to see Buck Rogers, and that's us. Buck Rogers. There it we is. We almost forgot our projector. Oh, yeah. It's uh, that dusty old thing in the corner over there. <laughs> Indeed. Well, such a great movie. Oh, I just couldn't agree more with you gentlemen about this whole thing. It is a perfect movie in every way. That's for you. It absolutely creates the world. Again, another one of these that just from the get-go, it's like a vortex. It just there hasn't sucks been too many movies in. made about this subject or this topic. It's mm-hmm. um, you know, it's usually sci-fi or something. But and and to this day, there hasn't been anything. We went through Gemini and Apollo and the space shuttle, but nothing is. This American and this no, and, and to, ostentatiously correct on what happened at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one that comes close is Apollo thirteen, but but I like the way Kaufman handles it much better than than the way that's Ron right. Howard Apollo thirteen. Yeah. this one has more of the fairy tale kind of thing, but it's all documented. You yep. know, it's it's all been done. Sustains it without question. You're just right there. You talk about being along for the ride. It's almost like you're. And like you many of the movies have we, lived then, you know? like many of the movies George and I pick, um, it has a great score. And it's just yes. more of a score, uplifting score. When you're, you know, you know what the outcome is in this movie. Should we spoiler alert at this thing? I mean, uh, well, I mean if we, you we know what happened. We know uh, what happened. Yeah, we, yeah. Know. we went to the moon. <laughs> That's right. We went to the- <laughs> we survived. We beat the Russians. We did. And the <laughs> Soviet Union ended. There we go. And we lived to tell. Mm-hmm. It uh, is a perfect movie. There's no question about it. I think that people will be watching this um, forever. And when the next technology, you know, DVD, Blu-ray, and then we could just have it implanted into the right. base of your spine there, people will, uh, will turn I to also this think, again you know, and again. There are so many films being made now that run long. Yeah. Uh, three hours or more and most of them are way too long this one is almost too you're short you're not going to be able to tear yourself away no. from this man this is good not a minute wasted definitely uh, definitely merits multiple viewings and I'll say again that in the course of watching this movie with uh, my wee child we I got to explain to him about the uh notion of the sound barrier we talked about how the whip the reason why a whip cracks is when you uh when you crack is because the tip of the whip actually breaks was this when you were the paddling sound him? barrier Did you <laughs> no <laughs> so see what you can see what you can do watch now, this son, amazing movie this is how the whip cracks <laughs> <laughs> when you hear this sound <laughs> run away <laughs> but i mean how many movies are you going to have this discussion about you know uh the very scientific and then also just really inspirational uh topics this movie definitely has it all. Gentlemen, are we going to give any uh, inkling as into the movie that we'll be looking at next time around? Hold on, no. just a minute. Just a minute. No. 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 Okay, no. so that's a no. Uh, suffice to say, it will be a perfect movie. <laughs> movie yeah, we're gonna, not going to disappoint you folks. It's going to be a perfect movie. Gentlemen, there is um, lots of ways to make connections with uh, with these reviews of these perfect movies. And the, probably the coolest way to go is right to the website at perfectmovie.net. And I encourage you to contact the film guys. Film guys. At perfectmovie.net. Now you uh, you check that email every day, don't you, George? Warren? I certainly do, whether I want to or not. So there you go. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments on any of the reviews you have heard here, please drop them a line. Film guys at perfectmovie.net. Catch us at npr.org. We're on iTunes. You can get us at wyso.org. No matter how you get us or where, just make sure you get us. J. Todd Anderson. Always my pleasure. 
always a treat to sit with the film guys. Also, uh, Mr. George Willeman, thank you for being here. Send donuts. <laughs> to the film guys. Film guys Light at perfectmovie.net. Hey, thanks, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.